podcast listeners, we're here for episode 182. Um, I'm joined by Tony, and Tony, we are both joined by a very special guest today. We have we have Mark Metzeling with us today. He's a principal lawyer at McPherson Kelly Lawyers. Now, Mark is just a bit of an introduction, if that's okay, Mark. He's head of intellectual property in Brisbane, trademarks an attorney, uh, uh, attorney and uh, foreign-owned subsidiary lead in Brisbane for McPherson Kelly Lawyers, who we do have a wonderful relationship with. Just a bit of your bio here, Mark. Uh, Mark's career began with an applied science biochemistry degree before his move into intellectual property law. His scientific background honed attention to detail and curiosity and now helps him to achieve great results for his clients. It also enables him to understand, communicate and innovate with clients in the life sciences, pharmaceutical and medical uh, industries. Recognised as a leading lawyer in the Australian intellectual property and trademark landscape, Mark's clients vary from startups to national subsidiaries of global corporations. Mark advises on the searching, availability and being able to register new trademarks and designs. He's dedicated to securing the registration of Australian, New Zealand international trademark and designs applications and has significant experience in commercialising, policing and enforcing all intellectual property rights, both nationally and internationally. Now, Mark, we reached out to you because with that type of background, and one of the questions we were asking is, chat GPT and artificial intelligence and you having the science background and the legal background we thought there's no better person to actually talk to today regarding chat GPT AI and is it going to take over the world and will we all be unemployed so Mark welcome to the Kofkin Bond podcast. Thank you Tony and thank you Vaughan it's a pleasure to be here today. Um, I would say that I don't think AI is going to take over the world um, so we don't have to be worried about Arnold Schwarzenegger looking like Terminators wiping us all out in the next decade or so. <laughs> no, it would be so nice this is not, to have so this like isn't that. So this isn't Skynet? <laughs> no, no, it'd be <laughs> nice to have that sort of thing happen. But um, unfortunately, I think we're a long way off that sort of technology. Um, but what is good is AI being very interesting and can be a very, very good tool for all businesses and educators alike. Yeah, one you know, sorry, Bonka. Yeah, I was just going to say, Mark. Yeah, but as you mentioned, it's uh, it's going to be a very useful tool for businesses, and we've spoken about how quickly it's developed. Would you mind just shedding some light on how quickly ChatGPT is changing and why it's so important to embrace it rather than to shrug it off? Yes, yeah, certainly. So I'm actually a big advocate of using AI technologies in all businesses. Um, I agree. There's a MIT professor, and the lady's name escapes me at the moment, but she is of the same sort of opinion as me where, you know, especially in schools, we should be embracing this AI technology such as ChatGPT because the more we know about it, the more we can actually use it as a tool rather than just say, oh, look, that's something that we shouldn't be touching because it can copy stuff. I mean, in the workplace in particular, it's got great advantages. Um it can actually streamline and get rid of a lot of the mundane, low-level tasks that, let's face it, graduates and junior solicitors don't want to do these days. You know, um, if I give it six dot points, it can generate a 600-word or a 900-word article for me, and I'm not going to publish that straight away, but it's 
of an equality that's equivalent to a grad student or a junior solicitor most times. Um, and this is only becoming a much more high quality product as ChatGPT evolves. We've already seen it move from ChatGPT3 to the release of ChatGPT4 uh, just, I think, one or two weeks ago. And the difference between those two is exponential. Um, the stuff that's being produced by ChatGPT4 now is incredible. I even saw in one article that a business has been generated off the back of a question which basically said, I've got $100 that I'm going to invest in a business. Can you tell me how to make the most money I can out of this business using X, Y, and Z? By the end of that day, that individual had generated $25,000 in profit. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so that's just one example of how you can actually use it to the betterment of your business. You know, I'm not saying everyone's going to be able to go out there and don't rush out now, get a subscription and think you're going to make $25,000 in a day. I know but, I was going to invest a lot more than $100. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's the sort of technology we're having because if you know the right questions to ask the technology, and this is the key, knowing the right questions to ask it, and then knowing how to evaluate those answers, that is the key to making ChatGPT and other AI software work for you. Because if you don't know how to evaluate it properly, then you're going to end up with potential fake news or things that are actually wrong and that you're just passing them off as being true. Mark, can I ask you a question there? You, you've used the uh, terminology fake news and if we have a look at, um, say, Google, you know, the, the, that's just in our modern vocabulary nowadays, just Google it. Um, I, I still haven't heard people say Bing it or whatever, whatever the other ones are, so it's just Google it. But, but Google makes its money off advertising and realistically Google, Google, Facebook, et cetera, were the great disruptors to the normal advertising and media industry where, you know, so where you had just had a whole heap of stuff going out and hopefully it reached the demographic of your target audience for that advert you paid for. With, with ChatGPT, it's a subscription model. And being a subscription model at the moment is not reliant, obviously, on advertising. So is this in, I'm looking at it from an economic perspective, you can go onto Google and you can get hit with fake news or certainly opinionated, uh, you know, opinions of whoever the fact checker is at, uh, Google. So with ChatGPT, it's not whoever paid the most or the highest ads, but basically you can ask it a question like you would ask Google and you would get an answer which I'm assuming at the moment is not necessarily biased. Uh, can you just give a bit of a difference? Yeah. I mean, because I, I see chat, some things like ChatGBT obviously being a disruptor to now the Facebooks and the Instagrams and the, uh, the you know, the Google, more to the point, mm -hmm. because of their revenue model or how they make money. Yeah, so there's a few parts to that, and I'll try and unpack quite a, yep. quite a few of the different elements. The first one, which is probably the easiest to sort of um, so signal to you, is that Microsoft Bing is actually using ChatGPT now. So you can actually type in, um, and you may have noticed that there's like in the address bar now for um, using Microsoft Edge, it does have the little Bing logo in the corner and it says ask Bing a question and it'll give you the answer. And that's because it's using this ChatGPT technology whereby they're saying if you 
ask the question, it'll give you the answer generated by AI. Now, to me, what sets ChatGPT apart from previous iterations of AI technology, such as what we saw, um, I think, originally on Facebook and with Google Baird, is the amount of training that has gone into it. So over 300 billion words have been put into ChatGPT and more now um, as it gets more and more training from, and that was done in a controlled environment. And this is why ChatGPT is actually working well to date. And I say to date because these things are constantly evolving. And if we have malicious people with malicious intents on the internet, they can go about and train AI um, through the use of it to distort the news or the fake news. And, you know, there have been instances where people have said um, they've entered their own name and said, who is, and then put in their own name. So I'd say, who is Mark Metzeling? Now, I haven't done that because I don't want to do that in through AI, and I don't <laughs> want to find out the answer. Um, but one person has done that, and it came back saying that that person died two years ago, and he's, he's this person that's actually putting the answer in. And the reason for that on ChatGPT was largely because, well, one, ChatGPT has only been trained until, until sometime during 2021. So events that have happened in the world after 2021 are not part of its training program. And so, therefore, it may deduce that that two-year gap where it hasn't received any information about that person means that they've disappeared from the planet. And so, therefore, they may not be alive anymore. You know, And so that it may be a logical conclusion for an AI software where it says, I receive all of these instances of stories that this person has done and articles, and if they're very popular or very, um, they trend very highly on social media, then to suddenly have a two-year gap where there's been no reports of that person at all can lead an AI program to think, oh, they mustn't exist anymore, so therefore there's nothing there about them, so I can say that that person passed away at this time. Um, and other things have led to further things as well. So in that regard, the training really comes down to what we're teaching AI as we use it. And the good thing about ChatGPT was that they went through this really intensive, long process of training it up properly and evaluating the answers it gave and getting individual groups to assess the answers and tell it which ones were correct, which ones weren't correct, tell it to regenerate more answers, even it had people sitting in a room providing their own answers and saying to ChatGPT, this is the answer you should have given. And so then ChatGPT evolved. And so when we use it now, we're using it with the benefit of all this prior training that has been done in a correct fashion. And I say a correct fashion by saying that the people, OpenAI, who created the software they wanted it to be used properly and they wanted it to be used as a tool for generating correct answers and correct outcomes. So they intentionally didn't feed it fake news. But what we have now that it's released out into society is it will then go and look at any news article that's anywhere on the web. It loves chat rooms because there's interactions and it can learn very well from chat rooms. And what you have in chat rooms is you have fake news often coming up where one person will say, Oh, I heard X, Y, Z. And if someone else in that chat room goes, oh, I heard that too, that's that's 100% true. 
whether it's true or not doesn't matter anymore because it's starting to get this impetus behind it and it's getting validation from a number of other people. And when you have validation coming through from different IP addresses, that says to the AI that this actually is factual information. And so then it will weigh up what it's found somewhere else against what it's found on multiple occasions and say, well, it's more probable than not that what I see repeated on a 100 different um, forums compared to what's actually repeated in one forum, well, the 100 forums will outweigh the one forum, even if that one forum is the New York Times or Encyclopedia Britannica, whereas the other 100 form, um, forums are, you know, individual chat groups. So it doesn't distinguish between those things. It doesn't apply weightings at this stage. And so that's where we can undo all that good work of open AI and detrain chat GPT to make it malicious, to make it biased, to add all this stuff in. And so that's where I guess being an early adopter is good because the malicious training hasn't started yet. You're mm. saying that though, um, I'd probably, I'd probably trust Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannica a little bit more than the New York Times. Uh, so the press yeah, nowadays yes. is just, <laughs> is just opinion pieces. Um, one, one question on that though, if we, one of the fears that people have is that AI will take away everyone's jobs. And as I said, we'll all be left unemployed. Um, now, I love history and especially from a financial perspective, sort of 1850s through to the 1950s, the Industrial Revolution. And, you know, the, the wealth that the world sees today actually was born out of, you know, even if you think of Henry Ford with the assembly line. Um, he made cars affordable for everyone, as long as they liked them in black, of course. Uh, the famous Henry, I don't know if you know the famous Henry Ford quote, Vaughan, but uh, someone asked, can we have any a different colour besides black? And he said, well, you can have any colour you want as long as it is black. <laughs> so, it's, um, so, um, so no. <laughs> no, that's right. But the, the point of what I'm getting at is the assembly line actually created jobs, created wealth, and the Industrial Revolution in general created a huge vast of wealth. And actually, whereas wealth was used to be concentrated towards royal families or the affluent passed down through generations, uh, this actually meant there was the great employment. Uh, so, and our employment conditions were not fantastic. Now, going back into the late 1800s compared to today, uh, your occupational health and safety lawyers would be having a ball of a time back in the late mm. 1800s. But the the basis of it is, though, it actually created work. All these changes, that, that was the Industrial Revolution 1.0, Computers 2.0, etc. Where do you see this going for the likes of AI in general, not just ChatGPT, in respect to those people who are worried about, is this going to take my job? Yeah. Well, I think... We will naturally see some jobs go, just as we saw in the Industrial Revolution, you would see some jobs go, you know, like who rides a horse and cart now? You know, so, you know, um, there's still room for them because we like to go around Central Park when we visit New York in the back of a horse and cart, you know, for a nice romantic trip. Um, but we're not going to hop in the horse and cart and head down to the shops and do our groceries. We're going to get into our car. In the same yep. way, AI will replace or lessen some sort of jobs but to me they're going to be the less desirable jobs because when we I mean we see it in law firms at the moment when we get grads and junior solicitors working with us they want to do the exciting stuff the high-end stuff 
You know, they don't want to do the menial tasks. They don't want to have to write a numerous number of articles and do research so that they can get their skills up. They want to just head there straight away. So chat GPT, if it's used properly, can actually be used to do these sort of menial tasks, to do these repetitive tasks, just as the assembly line stop people doing repetitive tasks. It's come in. I mean, in actual fact, Tony, the assembly line is AI. You know, uh, what people don't understand is AI came about from the, I think the earliest known AI was probably around the 1850s or even earlier. Um, and it was, there was a duck and this duck was invented. And I, I like telling this story because it's interesting. And it was like a wooden duck, but it had an internal um machinery element to it and so it was known as an automaton a lot of us may have seen them in movies where you actually put your dollar into this sort of machine and it generally is the the genie with the turban on and they're saying okay i can tell you your future and then it pushes out a little um sentence that tells them what's going to happen well this movie big yes (laughs) so this duck it uh, gave the illusion that it could eat and defecate and everyone was like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. You feed it grain. And then out comes the, the – the, the yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what no one actually noticed was the real trick was inside it, when the grain was eaten by the duck, it triggered a mechanism inside it, which then released a pallet from inside the chamber, inside the duck's body, the, the wooden duck's body, and then it was released. And so it actually looked to everyone – that this duck was a live, um, was an actual robot that could actually eat grain and convert it into poop, you know. But no, it was just a a a, a, a pallet that had been placed inside it, and so that was the very first AI because all AI was back then was this automated process that can come through. It was only in the 1950s when um, we had. AI changing to be associated with computers that we started to come up with our own concept, which is today's modern concept of it being a creative human equivalent. And that's where we really are now. And so that's why people but are saying, But did that start oh, with like IBM Watson? Is that kind of from, you know, in respect of the most well-known where, you know, just playing chess against a grandmaster and beating a grandmaster yeah. in chess? As an example, is that how it started in some ways, what we see today? Yeah, it it definitely is. Um, There was a gentleman in the 1950s who, again, his name escapes me, but the imitation game movie which we've seen, he he worked on there, is the British man, and he came up with the definition and said, well, we can actually get computers to generate a process so that we don't have to. And they can do this so much faster than we can. And that's then the next iteration went on to the IBM chess champion because it wasn't actually making decisions on what move to play. It was calculating the probability of winning based on the next move because it could process the one million different combinations of moves that would result in an end game based on the first move that was played. And so then that AI was seen to be thinking of the game and coming up with these things. Whereas now we think of AI as being someone, or sorry, something that has human intellect and can make a conscious decision where we're not there yet. And that's where people think Terminator. 
You know, it's like, ah, okay, we need to get this sentient being that has its own consciousness. And we're not there, but we do have AI, which will then, which does automate processes. It does read things and give us an answer. And that's where this current lot of AI tools are really great because they can actually help speed things up like computers did, but it's computers on an exponential growth pattern, you know, whereby they're going to be saying, okay, well, this is your answer. We don't need a human to do that anymore, or we don't need a calculator to do that because we've got um, AI. And then what, of course, we as humans need to do is we have to apply value judgments to those outcomes. And that's why there's always going to be jobs for humans, because at this stage, there is no AI technology that can actually say to you, oh, we're going to make an equitable decision here because it doesn't understand these concepts of equity. It doesn't understand the concept of fairness and what is just, you know, um, doesn't understand the concepts of in a war situation that um, what is for the greatest good is not always the outcome that's going to be achieved. You know, we saw that sort of scenario, I think, there's the movie David, or a, you know, which talks. I'm oh no, sorry. It's the movie AI, and the main character is David, that was David, played yeah. by Holly Joel Osment. Hmm. And the biggest thing to come out of that movie for me was the fact that it actually generated consciousness by the end of that movie because it could develop the emotion of love. Now we're a long way off that because you know they're the things that make humans human, and so you could turn around and say, well. We actually don't have AI in the sense of that emotional connection, you know. Yeah. And so no matter what robots we come up with, until they can actually ha- develop those emotions, we don't really need to be that concerned because they still will be a tool for us. Yes, they may get smarter than us, but at the end of the day, they're only going to respond to inputs, and there's still, Mark, is it fair to, to think that it's, there's more of a sense of opportunity with, with the rise of AI rather than, cause there's, there's basically two camps. There's a camp, as you said, that's, uh, you know, fearful of it. It's going to take all our jobs. And then there's the camp of embracing it and seeing it as an opportunity. If you think about children learning in school, for example, you know, I, I did primary school in the early 2000s and we did everything handwritten. And then by the time I was in about grade six, there was a, maybe a couple of computers in the corner. Um, kids of today are using iPads and computers. I doubt there's much handwriting going on. Um, are the children of the next decade going to be entering a couple of bullet points? Um, here's your work. Let's let's find the value in it, um, spend more time finding actually what the value is in the work, and then they've got so much other time to be innovating and creating and doing other sorts of things. As you said, the menial tasks are going to be cut out, so it, it leaves space for opportunity. I agree, and I hope so. I mean, I know that there is one school here in Brisbane, which is um, St Paul's, and they're pretty much the only school in Australia that are encouraging their students to use ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. And they're an entrepreneurial school where the headmaster has a PhD, PhD in education, has studied at Oxford. It's regularly asked about these sort of questions and, you know, being at the cutting edge of developing students for the next generation. And they're saying, well, we actually want to teach our students how to use this properly. We're not going to say don't use it, but we're going to make sure that our teachers know 
how to test students on what are the correct values. You know, for example, how to evaluate. You know, so if they do put in these four dot points and get an answer, they're not testing the answer that's given, but they're testing the process behind pushing those dot points in. You know, so they might want to say, okay, well, let's assess the input, you know, and look at what input generates what output. And how do we teach our students and our children and ourselves to input better input data so that we get better outputs? Because if you, you know, you'll only get out what you put in, you know, it's, it's like... And that's it's, the same in human life. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, if you feed your body McDonald's every day and never exercise, uh, you've, you know, your output and, you know, energy levels are not going to be quite as good. It's spot on. Yep. So just um, so one last question, unless Vaughan has another one, because we could go on for absolute hours on this. Certainly could. <laughs> um, first of all, I'd like to make a comment, Vaughan, that when you said you were in primary school in the you know early 2000s, I was in my 30s. So thanks yeah, for that. I, I, I was, <laughs> was going to say, back when Tony was at school, it was typewriters, wasn't it? So, you know. No, they weren't invented then. Yeah. <laughs> it was slate with chalk. Yeah, exactly. I, I, remember, I actually remember my father had an abacus in his briefcase. <laughs> So he spent a week's wage on his first calculator. But it was, um, but I think though the, the question here is from a legal perspective and, and obviously this is not you providing legal advice because you don't know any individual's circumstances. But the question I have is when you put something, if you copy something off Google, uh, you can be infringing, you know, whether it be a trademark or a copyright, et cetera. Um, but if you receive an answer from ChatGPT, I mean, is is that you know in any way a copyright breach, or from, from your from your perspective, from legal legally, or you know even who owns that intellectual property that you know the IP for the answer that you're being given from uh, ChatGPT? That question is the best question that's actually out there regarding all of this technology at the moment, because it's the one that all the legal boffins throughout the world are struggling with. It's like who owns, well, one, is copyright infringed in the process? Two, who owns the copyright that comes out of it? So I might break it down into a few stages. The first stage that's looked at, and I'll keep it all high level so it's, it, you know, um, so it's easier to understand. There's the training process. And so the training process is where Potentially, you have AI, and this is not necessarily ChatGPT, so I want to make that a disclaimer from here. I'm not making mm. any assertions about how ChatGPT trained that AI software, but AI in general can potentially be scraping of the internet. And when I say scraping, what they do is it's, it's a, it's a harsh word for saying they, the software program will go out through the entire internet and look at all the knowledge base throughout the world and learn from those situations and potentially read items or look at items. And if it's being trained, it's a case of saying, okay, if you're asked this question, this is the answer. Now, some jurisdictions have come out and said that sort of training is not going to be copyright infringement um, because they're making an exception for it. In the US, there is arguments around that to say this could be considered fair use. In Australia, we have other provisions as well, which may or may not say that copyright's infringed. For me, from a practical level, how are you going to prove that that AI software actually copied 
your exact um, work in the training process. You know, you would need to have access to the training documents and everything like that. So to me, that's a bit of a moot point at this stage. And there are third parties that are looking to address this in commercial ways, which I'll get to later. So the bigger question is when you actually input the question into ChatGPT or another AI software and it comes back and gives you an answer, does that answer infringe someone else's copyright? And my opinion is no, it doesn't. And the way that I, the, the reason I have that belief is based upon me, say, asking Tony a question. I ask Tony a question. Tony goes and reads several books, looks up answers himself, everything like that. And then he comes back to me and says, here, Mark, this is my answer. Because Tony has gone and created something original himself and he hasn't actually copied any of these other items it's a good position to say that this is an original work. Now, whether it's original or not can come back to legal arguments to say, well, has a substantial portion been copied? There's also the subconscious bias argument that can be gone into, but I won't go into that today because there is a possibility there. But my general belief is 99% of what comes out of ChatGPT, unless you ask it to copy certain parts of text, you know, or certain books, when that's, again, an input question, if you ask it a general question, it gives you the answer. It's most likely going to be an original work. And that is because I actually tested this hypothesis. I asked the question of ChatGPT. It gave me the answer. I then said to ChatGPT, has any of this been copied from anywhere else or any third-party publications? And ChatGPT responded and said, ChatGPT is a software program that's created not to copy but to actually go and read all these primary texts and other reference materials on the internet. It then generates an original solution itself. And I said, okay, well, that's that's a very good answer. Let's test this one step further. So I said, can you give me any citations that you use to generate that answer? And it responded again saying, it doesn't actually use anything to create the answer, but texts and um sources that it thinks will be relevant to the answer it generated and for which I can actually look at to discuss this or look into it further are as follows. And it then provided me with a list of about 10 different citations of other reference materials I could go to to look at in order to look into that subject area more. So to me, that sort of basically said that this answer that I've been given is authentic. It's original. It's not copied from anywhere else. It's been created. And if you actually look at the ChatGPT description, it's actually a software that generates the next word based on probability. And because it does that, it's unlikely to be copying whole slabs of actual any particular work. What it does is it says this word, the first word is the. The probability, the most likely word following the might be game. You know, and then the next word after that might be is based on what it's read, you know, in that subject area. And so that's how it creates its answer. And that's why sometimes it gets it wrong as well. So I think that sort of discusses that output. Then the next question, which is the really big question for me, and I don't know the answer to this, is who actually owns the copyright in the answer that's been provided? Or does copyright actually subsist in that? Now, 
for the majority of legislation throughout the world in intellectual property realm, there is the basically unanimous decision that AI can't own intellectual property rights because most AI legislation, if not all throughout the world, relates it through to human intellect and human endeavours. And what we saw in the same way that um, you may have heard about, there was a patent that looked to be created by Davis, and that's been in the courts in America, in the in the UK, in Australia, in Europe. And the high courts, the highest court in each of those jurisdictions has come back and said, AI is not able to be an, an inventor. You know, what was produced is patentable works. And if it had have been applied for by a human or the uh, the inventor of the AI had have actually applied for that invention, they would have had a granted patent. But because it was applied for by in the name of the AI and AI isn't a human and therefore it can't create patents under the legislation, there's no granted patent there. In the same way with these copyright works, we have a situation whereby it's being looked at if we look at it and say that AI is the author of that work, it's most likely that copyright's not going to subsist in that work because AI cannot own property from a property law perspective. You know, AI doesn't have property rights. AI is not an actual thing, so therefore it has no legal personality. There are other schools of thought that it's considered a work for hire, and this is especially relevant when we start paying for services such as ChatGPT on the subscription level. Because if we pay for it, there's an argument to say, well, it's actually a work for hire. It's equivalent, me paying OpenAI to use ChatGPT to generate an answer is equivalent to me paying Tony to generate an answer to a question I have and him giving me that answer as an advice or something like that. And so I could be saying, okay, well, Tony's generated that answer, but it's actually a work for hire, so I'm going to own the copyright in that. But to get to that stage, I think we need to change the legislation and the governments in every jurisdiction will need to say, OK, we're going to acknowledge that copyright can subsist in AI generated works because what we're going to treat it as is a work for hire or we're going to treat it as the individual who created the software is the owner of the copyright. And then when an individual goes and pays that person to generate something, well, they're going to buy the copyright off them as part of that, just as we pay a designer to do graphic design for us. Okay. So just in closing on that, I don't have to be worried about thousands of Arnold Schwarzeneggers coming and trying to shoot us. Vaughn will be fine. He's, he goes to the gym every night now and he's as fast as a, <laughs> as fast as a hare. So, you know, so my knee's just, I'm just gone. <laughs> so, so on that basis, um, you know, I, I do know that it does save me time when I'm looking at, uh, writing something. Uh, so by putting the points in it, it can save me up to half an hour of actually writing and sourcing stuff, stuff that, stuff that, you know, is just general, uh, that's going out there to people. So I know it's a real time saving for me. And realistically, what it seems to be then from what you've said, Mark, is that it actually will give us the opportunity in the future to be actually more productive, just like what computers have. Although, yep. uh, Bill Gates did once say we'll only be working four hours a day and sitting on a beach doing it and all the computers has done is, 
you know, had me working an extra four hours a day. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm, you know, I'm up to 12 or 14 hours a day now because you could just cram so much more in and it's very expensive. But, but I, I think what you're saying is that it, it can be the revolution 4.0 basically, but the, the real next opportunity for all of us if we embrace it and embrace it really well. And those who don't might end up just being left behind like those who didn't want to embrace the internet at first. A good analogy to that, Tony, is beta versus v- versus VHS. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like um, when when it was adopted, well, great, but, you know, um, now we're all at VHS. Well, we don't even have beta. Oh, your <laughs> listeners are probably like saying, what the hell is beta? <laughs> the born is. Last yeah. time he was oh, going to ask yeah. you that question later. He always asks yeah. me a thousand questions. But even that, you know, we don't, we don't, yeah, we don't have VHS anymore, but we don't yeah, even have compact discs. VHS. We, we don't even have compact discs anymore. We just, we just watch Netflix. Yep. You know, so it's, uh, Great yeah. streaming service. Exactly right. So, and, and that is just so true. So you can just get left behind. Mm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So Mark, Thanks so thank you. Yep. It was a real pleasure to, uh, to have you on the podcast today. I think, uh, it's definitely been a thought provoking chat and we could definitely continue this for quite a while, but, uh, but no, thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, my pleasure. It's been a pleasure talking to you both, Vaughn and Tony. Thank you so much. And yeah, by all means, I love this topic. And if anyone wants to reach out personally, I'm happy to speak to them as Coffin Bond Podcast is a product from Coffin Bond and Co., which we are an authorized representative of Gown Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of the Coffin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Coffin Bond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconsideration, Coffin Bond and Co. and the hosts of the Coffin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.